So in the new creation, when we finally get to see God face to face in all of his fullness and all of his glory, I'm going to have some questions. And despite the fact that I'm a pastor and I've read the scriptures and studied them and, and received a lot of training for this job, I still got questions. I'm going to ask God why. Why is it, even though I love serving in Houston, Texas, why is it that he called me to serve in Houston, Texas, where the thermostat is perpetually set to 105 degrees? Why? Why did he make me a Detroit Lions fan? Where we have nothing to celebrate except once being the home of the greatest running back to ever live, Barry Sanders, only to have him quit early, never win a championship, and not get any of the respect as the goat that he deserves. Why? Why is it that some people in this day and age with so many other options for communication, why is it that so many people still decide to call you and leave you a voicemail when they could just text you or not reach out to you at all? Why? I got questions, and I'm sure you do as well. I bring that up because today we're starting a new teaching series called Why We Do That, where we're looking at some of the things that make life at St. Mark Houston unique. We're answering the questions why we do some of the things that we do here together on a Sunday morning, the way in which we do them. You know, there are some questions that won't be answered until Jesus comes back and makes all things new. But, but the questions you have about why your church does some of the things that it does should not be on that list. And so we're going to answer some of your questions about our church. And we're going to start with the songs that we sing, the substance of them, the style of them, and yes... As some of you pointed out to me already today, the volume of them. And our guide today, as we talk about the songs that we sing when we gather in worship, our guide today is going to be the Old Testament psalm, Psalm 150. If you have access to the scriptures, if you have a Bible with you or an app on your phone, you'll want to go to Psalm 150 and then also get ready to go to the book of Revelation. We're going to hang out in those two places today. If you look at Psalm 150, it gives us really an overview for why we do what we do, the way we do it when it comes to music and worship and the songs that we sing here at St. Mark. So we'll start at verse 1. And what verse 1 tells us is this. Verse 1 of Psalm 150 tells us that our worship when we gather here on a Sunday morning should give us a glimpse into eternity. Here's what verse 1 says. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary, that's here. Praise him in his mighty heavens. The psalmist mentions two places. He mentions the church gathered, but also the church in time and eternity, the church in the heavenly realm where God is now in all of his fullness and where we will be in the very end when Christ makes all things new. And what the psalmist is saying is that Church, when we're gathered here on earth, should be in some way, shape, and form a reflection of what, of what worship is like around the throne of God at all times, but in particular in the end times when Christ comes back and we live in a new creation and we enjoy God in all his fullness and greatness and glory. There should be some connection, some similarity between these two expressions, which stirs the question, well, how are we to know what worship is like in that unseen heavenly realm? Well, this is where the book of Revelation is instructive, where it's helpful. John, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John, gets this vision of, of what the new creation, what the new world will look like in the very end. 
And he gets this picture of this worship service to end all worship services that erupts when Christ returns. And listen to his description of what that worship service sounds like. This is Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. 19, verse 6. This is John speaking. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, a great multitude of people, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. What John says is this. Take a stadium full of people. Take the roar of Niagara Falls and take the loudest thunderstorm you've ever heard. Roll all of that together and that's what this sounded like. But it wasn't just a mess of noise. It had a message to it, and the message was, praise the Lord. Over and over again, in many and different ways, hallelujah, praise the Lord, the Lord Almighty reigns. A stadium, Niagara Falls, thunder. Do you think that that was quiet, or was it loud? I think this is, this is a biblical case for the fact that God likes to listen to music at 11. Now, is that to say that ours has to be at 11 all the time? No. Is there, is there room for dynamic in worship? Is there space for, for silence and quiet in worship? Absolutely, and arguably, we probably need to make even more space for that. But what this is telling us is that worship, when God's people are gathered, either here on earth or in eternity, in the heavenly realm, it is not a cautious and quiet affair. It is joyful, it is boisterous, and dare I say, it is loud. When God's people gather and they give him the praise that he deserves, it is an overwhelming, transcendent event. And so how should our worship be characterized? Should it be something in which we hold back or something in which our praises are let loose? Our praise here on earth is to mirror something in heaven. And in heaven, God gets all the praise that he deserves. So if you look at verse 2, what else does this tell us about the why, the rationale behind our worship? Well, verse 2 tells us this, that our songs are a chance for us to give thanks to God. That the songs that we sing, the substance of them is to be about our gratitude for God, for who he is and for what he's done. Look at verse 2. It says, praise him for his mighty deeds, his acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness, his attributes. So we give thanks to God for his actions and his attributes. I hope you've noticed something about your time at St. Mark, whether it's just this Sunday or whether you've been with us for, for all 70 plus years of our history, that when we sing songs, we, we try our best to make sure that we sing songs that are about Jesus, about who he is and what he's done for us and the gift that he gives to us. Now, that might seem obvious to you, but very often... It's not obvious to Christians who, when they gather and when they write songs, they like to gather and sing, not about Jesus, but about themselves. And I've been guilty of it at times, that the song I love to sing the most is one that has to do with me, about my heart, my actions, my intentions, how I'm feeling, when in reality, the scriptures point us to, to make our praise, the substance of our praise, the actions and the attributes of God, 
of who he is and how great he is and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. Not about us, but the substance should be about him. Now, this might kick up a question for you. And the question might be, why does God want us to tell him how great he is? Does God have kind of like an ego issue going on? I mean, on the surface, it sounds a bit strange. Imagine going home to your spouse and later this afternoon saying to your spouse, hey, honey, um, just once a week for like an hour, I would like you to tell me how great I am and all the good things that I've done. Your wife would look at you and say, "Uh, you might need to find somebody else to be married to because that is not going to happen here. You're great, but you don't deserve that. God wants our praise, not not, not because he needs it, It's not an ego thing. It's because he deserves it. And there is a difference. It's not as though he needs it. It's because he deserves it. Fast forward to later in this week when you're at the Chick-fil-A drive-thru and the kid behind the counter at your request gives you an extra packet of Polynesian sauce for your chicken wings or whatever it is, for your nuggets. That kid who does that for you, they deserve, they deserve a thank you from you, which will then be followed up from them with a... My pleasure, that's right. When they do that little thing for you, they deserve some praise. They deserve a thank you. Now, let's zoom out real wide. If that's what the kid at Chick-fil-A deserves, let's talk about the God of the universe who made you, who, who has sustained you through every moment of your life, who claimed you in your baptism and covered you in the forgiveness of Jesus and has secured a bright future for you. What does he deserve? Every song that we could sing. That's what he deserves. And so when we gather, we gather to make the substance of our praise about his greatness and his goodness towards us in Jesus Christ. He deserves it. Now, if you want to talk about who needs this praise, I would say that you and I, we're the ones who need praise. Not for us, but we need to praise God. It is good for our souls to ascribe to God the worth and greatness that he has. It's good for us. Let me quote two really smart guys. One is N.T. Wright, the other is G.K. Beale. N.T. Wright on this topic once said, the golden rule of spirituality is this, you become like what you worship. You become like what you worship. G.K. Beale once said, what people reveal, revere rather, they resemble either for ruin or restoration. When you gaze in awe and wonder at something, When you speak of its greatness, when you shower it in praise, something of the character of the object of worship affects you and it shapes you. We become like what we worship. And we often see negative examples of this. You know, so the person who is obsessed with and worships power becomes ruthless. The person who is obsessed with and worships money becomes a human calculator. The person who is obsessed with and worships sex and sexuality becomes obsessed with attractiveness. We often see negative examples of this. But what happens to us when we worship and we praise and we give credit where credit is due to the one who made us, who claimed us in Jesus Christ? We not only draw closer to him, but something of the object of our worship affects us and shapes us, we become more like him. In fact, and this is going really deep, you could make an argument that because the scriptures say that humanity was made in the image of God, 
when we worship God, we become more ourselves. We experience what it means to truly live. You can't be whole. You can't be truly and fully human if you're made in the image of God until your praise and your worship, the substance of your songs, is pointed toward him. We are the ones who need to worship because you become what you worship. You resemble what you revere. So we keep going through Psalm 150. What does verses three through five say to us? Well, it says a lot. The substance of it is this, that our worship should be a creative celebration. Psalm 150 verses three through five mentions every instrument under the sun to be used in our gathered worship. Listen to this. It says, praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Is this this a verse about drums? Praise him with loud and crashing cymbals. This is a verse about loud drums. Here's the point. More, more, More space is given in this psalm to the instrumentation than any other part of the psalm. More attention is given to the instruments that are used than attention is given to anything else in this psalm. And I think what this means is it's not prescribing the instruments that need to be used in worship. What it's saying is when you worship, gather everything that you can. Let it be a creative celebration of the goodness of God. Bring everything that you can out and make it a creative, joyful celebration to God. And and one of the many reasons I love being a pastor at St. Mark is that that's been part of our story since the very beginning. Our church has been in existence for almost 75 years. And we have a heritage, a heart that says whatever it takes to give God all the praise that he needs, we're going to do it. Whatever it takes to be as creative and joyful in our celebration of worship, we're going to do it. So much so that almost three years ago, we made a dramatic shift in in our style of worship here at St. Mark. And what you need to know is that that was That was driven by the the words of Psalm 150, and in particular, verse 6. Bring everything out to make it as joyful and celebratory of a worship experience as possible, because that's what God deserves. Bring everything out. Make it a joyful celebration. And, And I know that in churches, not this church, but other churches, people like to argue over style about which is better, a more more traditional style or a more uh, contemporary style of music. But I hope that you know that when we argue over style and how it resonates with us and what we like the most, that we are really missing the point of corporate worship. So imagine for a moment that that you threw a party for your your 10-year-old girl, and you, you buy the cake, and you get the presents, you hire a clown, whatever you do. And the party happens, and afterwards, your spouse comes to you and says, so what did you think of the party? And, and by all accounts, it was a raging success, but you, in this moment of reflection with your spouse, you, you look at her and say, well, you know what? I really prefer that they sing happy birthday on a guitar, not a piano. Um, no one got a present for me. The cake really didn't feed me. I don't know. I'm just left wanting more. Your spouse would look at you and say, bro, you know that this party wasn't for you, Right? Now, does God want us to enjoy our gathered worship? Absolutely. Does he have tons of gifts to give to us 
in gathered worship? Yes. Does he want the songs that we sing to flow from our heart, to resonate with us? Does he want us even to, dare I say, feel something when we sing? Yes, he does. But let us not, let us not forget that, that, the, that the songs are about him. They, they are our gift of gratitude for him. That it's, it's, a, it's a party that blesses us, but the songs in particular is a celebration of him. Not me, not you. And our task is to offer him joyful and creative praise as much as possible. Brings me to the next part of Psalm 150, verse 6. Verse 6 tells us that our celebration should welcome and engage as many people as possible. Verse 6 says this, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'll read it again because I think it's easy to skip over what this is actually saying. Let everything that has breath, everything that has breath in its lungs, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Our worship should be done in such a way that everyone with breath in their lungs can come and understand it and take part in it. And that's why each week when we put a service together, and I think some weeks we we do this really well, other weeks we try really hard, but we might miss the mark, but each week this is the intention. We we try to build as as welcoming and diverse uh, of a chorus of people singing God's praises as possible. I'm not talking about the people who are up front, but I'm talking about who is welcome in these doors and who can take part. One of the reasons why we have the style that we do is so that we can reflect the culture that we're called to reach and that we can resonate with the people who might walk in this door and have no reference point for what we believe. And while the substance of the things that we say and teach will, of course, be strange to them, they might be able to walk in, have something connect with them, something feel familiar to them so that they might hear the strange things that we teach. They might join us in the songs of praise and so come to believe and be changed. But that's why also each week we try to sing a song that the church, the capital C church throughout time has been singing for a long time, like a mighty fortress. Or Christ my sure and steady anchor. That's not a new one. So that if you grew up in these pews, you can walk in and go, well, the style is kind of new to me or perhaps not my personal cup of tea, but this song, this song speaks to me. That's why each week, whether you're into really traditional things or whether you like all the contemporary things that we're trying, you you can know, especially if you've grown up in the church, that every single song that we pick, it is anchored in the theological tradition that we have inherited, where the focus is not on us, but the focus is on Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and what he gives to you and the battle he's fought and won, the victory that he blesses you with, that that's what it's about. And our effort in doing that and having a style that can connect outside of our our normal limits and substance that speaks to the tradition that we've inherited and songs every week that that someone can resonate with. Our our job is to create as big of a chorus, as big of a tent for the praise of Jesus as possible because everything that has breath needs to praise him and be transformed by it. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And so our worship must be done in such a way that as many people as possible can come in, even and especially those who have never been here before can connect with it. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. 
Psalm 150. That's the why behind why we do the things that we do. Now, I, I will say this. All of that means very little if you don't grasp these last two things that I'm going to share with you. And at this particular point, I'm actually going to invite our musicians to join us back on stage because I want them to begin this next song while I share with you these last two points because I want what I'm saying to you to flow right into the song that you're about to sing. Everything I've just said means very little if you don't grasp these last two points. The first point is this. You still have a reason to sing. And I know that for some of you who are here today, you may not feel like singing. And it might be because you have recently lost someone that you love and you are filled with grief, and I understand. Or it may be, it may be that you just look at the world that we live in and you feel down. You look at the fact that, that, that inflation is up, that your one kid is a mess, that your knee needs to be replaced, that your bank account is low, that COVID cases are high again. And you look at all of these things and you say, I don't know that I got a reason to sing. Let me say this to you. You still have a reason to sing. And here's why. Because the God of the universe sings over you. The one who made you still knows your name and he still claimed you and made you his own and he has promised through Jesus Christ a bright and glorious future for you. You still have a reason to sing. We just walked through the last psalm of the entire book of Psalms, Psalm 150. That entire book is meant to to shape the prayer life and the spiritual life and the worship life of God's church. It teaches us how to pray. It teaches us how to praise. But it's no coincidence that the last five of those 150 psalms are all songs of praise to God. All five, especially the last one, 150. Now, why is it that of 150 psalms, the last five would be psalms of praise? Here's why. The message God is sending to you, to me, to his people is this. No matter where you find yourself right now, it's all going to end in praise. All spirituality, all prayer, all worship, whether you're in a season of anguish and anxiety, of drought, doubt, and despair, it's still going to end in praise. Every, every anxious prayer you've offered, every desperate need you have, It'll either get resolved this side of eternity or it will for sure get resolved when Christ returns. But it's going to end in praise. And so when you show up here on a Sunday morning and even though life doesn't give you any reasons to sing for joy, when you show up here and you decide to sing for joy anyway, what you're, what you're saying, what you're doing is, I know how this story ends. I know that it's going to end in praise and I'm going to give myself a glimpse of the day to come. And even though I don't feel like it, even though I don't really want to, I'm going to give God the glory and praise that he deserves and going to give the world around me a glimpse of the end. It all ends in praise. The second point you have to grasp is this, is that your God wants to hear you sing. I know you don't think you can sing. Some of you can't sing. I get it. I know that half the time you're like, I'm not sure I know the words to this song. I'm with you. We introduce some new stuff on a regular basis. I get it. But God still wants to hear you sing. I'm going to share something personal with you. This is, this is a note that I received in my lunch on Thursday from my son, Jack. 
I don't know when he snuck it into my lunch, but he did. I opened up my lunch and here was this little note, in case you can't read it, it says this. Dad, I love you, heart, X-O-X-O-X-O. I'm a 42-year-old man who cried over a ham sandwich on Thursday afternoon. Do you know why? Because I love to receive love from my kids. And I know it sounds trite, but it is true. I know it sounds cheesy, but it is accurate. You have a God who feels the exact same way about you. He loves to hear from you. I know that you think your singing sounds like my son's handwriting looks. I get it. But that doesn't matter. Your God wants to hear from you. Take all the theology I've taught about why we do what we do and just hold on to this. I hope that when you come to church, you sing. And I hope that we do a good job of helping you to do that. And if we don't, you tell me, we'll we'll do whatever we can to fix it. But I hope when, when you come to church, you sing. You sing because you know that it gives the world a glimpse of heaven on earth. I hope you come to church and you sing because it's a chance for you to show some gratitude to God. I hope when you come to church, you sing because you get to be a part of a joyful celebration that is bigger than yourself. And I hope that when you come to church, you look around and you see other people with breath in their lungs from all walks of life who don't live like you, who maybe yet don't even think or believe like you, but they're here like you, giving God praise and glory. I hope you come to church and you sing, not because you feel like you have to, because you actually want to and you get to. And you know that the God of the universe loves to listen to you.